Today is part two of our series, Asking for a Friend. I hope you enjoyed last week. I hope you were able to be a part of last week as we talked about questions about time with God. Today, in part two, we're going to be answering questions about the nature of God. Questions about the nature of God. Why does God allow evil? Uh, did God create evil? Why does God love us? These types of questions, we have four of them today. So if you have a question along these lines especially, I'd encourage you to text that in during service. We're going to answer one at the end of service. The number is on the screen. It should be on the screen throughout the message today in kind of the bottom left-hand corner. So if anything pops into your mind related to one of the questions or, or unrelated, text that in. Um, and we've got a number of topics already selected because of the questions that have been turned in. So I'm going to go ahead and just give you a little bit of a preview of the series. So you may have questions along these lines. You can submit. Uh, and we will consider adding those to our question bank for these other topics. We've received questions about the end times, questions about relationships and sexuality, questions about heaven and eternity, questions about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, questions about creation and dinosaurs, questions about the spiritual realm, and then next week we're going to answer questions about living the Christian life. Living the Christian life. I'll give you a couple examples of what we're going to be answering next week. Uh, one question that was submitted is, how are Christians supposed to handle bad slash rude customer service? Uh, if you've ever worked with the public, you know that the customer is not always right. Uh, and so what do we do when the customer is wrong? Uh, another question that was submitted, how do you love the unlovable? We're going to talk about that next week. Um, we've got a few other questions along those lines as well. So if you've got questions about just living the Christian life, man, just dealing with people, how do I represent Jesus in the workplace, those types of things, feel free and get those submitted, and we'll be digging into those together next week. But today, as we said, part two, we are answering questions about the nature of God. Just to do a quick refresher, how are we answering these questions? Well, we want to turn to the Word of God for these questions as much as possible. And so, in a question that's submitted, number one, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. We're not going to apologize for what the Word of God says. We're not going to try to explain away what the Word of God says. When the Bible specifically speaks to a situation, we're going to answer that question clearly. Of course, because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, there are things that we deal with in modern life that the Bible doesn't speak specifically to. Uh, so when the Bible does not speak clearly, we will seek to apply biblical principle. Uh, the Bible is full of principles. In fact, today, uh, as we talk about the nature of God, we're going to talk about a lot of biblical principle. What do we know about God's character? What do we know about his nature? Well, they, some of these questions may not be explicitly answered in Scripture, but we can see who God is in Scripture and apply his nature and his character to the questions. Um, thirdly, sometimes the Bible is silent. Sometimes the Bible just does not speak uh, on a certain topic, and when that's the case, I'm not going to dodge the question or duck the question. I'll just give you my opinion, uh, but I will tell you it's my opinion. My opinion is not the Word of God. Uh, you are not going to stand before God and answer for how you uh, submitted yourself to pastor's opinion. Uh, you can have a different opinion, and that's okay, uh, but I think... It's fun to share my opinion. I do have opinions, uh, and I think generally you're asking me sometimes because you want my opinion on something. So I'll give you my opinion as best as I can, but I'll do my best to make sure you know, hey, this is not the word. This is just pastor speaking, uh, and you can take it or leave it. So with all that foundation in place, let's go. Question one, if God is all-knowing and he created Satan, did God create Satan 
to be evil. So kind of a, putting a couple principles together here. We know that God is all-knowing. First of all, the question of that is not if, it is yes. God is all-knowing. The Bible, uh, the, the theological term is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires. He knows your temptations. He knows your actions. He knows what's happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future. He is all-knowing. He exists outside of time, beyond time. And because of that, he can see to the future and the past. Um, so yes, God is all-knowing, and yes, God created Satan. Uh, he created all. There is nothing that exists that God did not create except for God himself. Uh, and then did God create Satan to be evil? So really that question is the real question here. He is all-knowing, and he did create Satan. So if God is all-knowing and he knew that Satan was going to be evil, that Satan was going to be a tempter, that, that Satan was going to be an enemy of the people, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, all these things we know about Satan. If God knew those things were coming and he created Satan, did he create Satan to be evil? Great question, one that people have debated for hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't think we'll settle the debate today, uh, but I will tell you what I believe the Bible indicates for us. What is the biblical principle that we can apply to this question, and where do we go from there? So first of all, let's start with the short answer, and then we'll unpack the principles and the why. The short answer is no. God did not create Satan to be evil. God actually created Satan as an angel to shine for God's glory. We saw last week in another question, we went back to Ezekiel chapter 28 as we talked about worship. And we discovered that the enemy was an angel. Most of you probably know this. Before he was Satan, he was an angel in heaven. And he was actually adorned with timbrels and pipes. He was adorned with musical instruments. And we believe that he was actually the worship leader in heaven. Uh, that, that he was the one whose job was to bring glory and worship to God. And in the midst of this, at some point in time, and we don't know how far back he went or, or when this exactly happened, except we know it was before mankind was created. Sometime before God created man, the enemy decided to overthrow God. So that all this glory, all this worship that I'm bringing to him doesn't really need to go to him. It goes to me. I'm beautiful, I'm powerful, I'm great. And so he caused an uprising of one-third of the angels. They tried to overthrow God, and spoiler alert, you can't overthrow God. Doesn't work. He's God for a reason. He's the creator. The enemy was a, the created, and it didn't work. And so God cast him out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. They are now the demonic forces. We're going to answer questions about spiritual forces later on, but there are questions about angels and demons. We'll get to those. Uh, but that is how he, was, he began. So why do I say that God didn't create him to be evil? Well, let's look at a couple principles about his creation. We looked at Ezekiel 28 last week. Today we're going to turn to Isaiah 14. And I'm going to read it to you in the King James, and I'll explain why in a minute. In the King James, it says this about Satan. It says, how art thou fallen from heaven? Satan fell from heaven, and he says, O Lucifer. You're probably familiar with that name for the enemy, that this was his angelic name, Lucifer. Son of the morning. 
And then he says, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? And I'm so glad I don't have to say didst on a regular basis. That's why we don't read from the King James. Uh, but that's what it says. So why are we reading from the King James today? Well, we're reading from the King James today because the King James is the only translation that calls him Lucifer. And I'm going to explain why in a second. First of all, what is Lucifer? Lucifer comes from the Latin word haleo. The Latin halal, which means to shine. Uh, the King James, as we talked about a little bit last week, was not translated from Greek and Hebrew. The King James was translated from Latin. Uh, and so this Latin word halal translated as Lucifer is the, this meaning because it means to shine. And so Lucifer means to shine. Uh, but the actual Hebrew word used there is a little different. And that's why none of the other modern translations use Lucifer. Uh, so I don't think it's bad to refer to Satan as Lucifer. I don't think we really have to respect him and his names. Uh, so if you want to call him Lucifer, I think that's acceptable. I don't think that's actually what he was called in heaven. Uh, because the actual Hebrew does not indicate he was Lucifer. It just indicates that he was meant to shine. Uh, the, the words here are light bearer, shining one. He was created to shine and reflect the glory of God. That's what Lucifer was created to do. That was God's purpose in creating Satan. Now, did Satan live up to that purpose? Obviously not. Did God know that Satan was not going to live up to that purpose? Absolutely. But God created him with a specific purpose and gave him free will to decide, do you want this or not? And the same applies to you and to me. If you go out and commit heinous acts, if you go out and do awful things, it's not because God created you to do awful things. It's because you rejected the purpose God created you for and you chose to do something different. God loves us enough to actually allow us to make our own decisions. And that is horrifying, especially once you become a parent. Once you see that free will rise up in your child to do other than your purpose for them, other than your desire for them, some of you are having a spiritual moment right now, uh, because you identify with what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Free will is an incredible gift. It's also an amazing responsibility. And it obviously brings a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, a lot of shame, a lot of destruction when we choose poorly. Psalm 5.4 tells us this about our God. It says that you are not a God who delights in wickedness, Evil may not dwell with you. So does God create people, spiritual beings, for evil? No, he doesn't delight in wickedness. In fact, he has zero tolerance for wickedness and evil, so much so that it can't dwell with him. Why was Satan, or Lucifer if you want to call him that, cast out of heaven? Because once his heart turned, once he became evil, he can't be in God's presence. Why did Jesus have to die for you and I to be restored back to relationship with God? Because you got evil and wickedness in you too. So do I. 
And because of that, we have to be covered by the perfect blood of Jesus to be acceptable to God's presence. It's why we can now spend eternity with him, because that stuff has been washed away. It's been cleansed. It's been paid for. We serve a God who is good all the time. All the time, in every situation, in every way. And so, no, I don't believe that God created Satan for evil. I certainly do believe he anticipated and he had a plan for how he would bring restoration when Satan chose to go evil. Second question for us today. Starts the same way, and these were submitted by two different people or two different phone numbers. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> if God is all-knowing, that means he already knows exactly how lives or our lives are going to play out. So do we really have free will? All right, I just told you that you have free will. Uh, so now we get another question. If God is all-knowing, he already knows everything you'll ever do. Do we really have free will? Are we just pieces on a chessboard where God is moving us around and doing whatever he wants to do? Um, I certainly certainly believe in free will. I certainly believe in free choice. If we deny free will, then we make God the author and originator of all evil, of all awful things, of murder, of abuse, of molestation, of insert horrific thing here. And I don't believe that's who God is. I don't believe that's what God claims about himself. In fact, in the book of James, we see this question addressed pretty directly. James chapter 1 says this. He says, when tempted, no one should say that God has tempted me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So when you get temptation, that's not coming from God. When, when you feel drawn towards something that's outside of God's best or God's will, that is not God tempting you. Uh, that is temptation coming from somewhere else. And we'll talk about some of those directions that can come from in a minute. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Sometimes we're really good at blaming stuff on Satan, and he ain't even the one to blame. Right? Man, why, why is the enemy doing this to me? A lot of times it's me doing this to me. Right? And we, we don't want to acknowledge our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, our own wickedness. And so we want to put all that stuff on Satan. And the Bible says, no, nah, a lot of times temptation ain't coming from him. It's coming from you. This book was written to Christians. This wasn't written to the, the lost, to, to the world. This is us, man. The reality is I've got evil desires in me. That's why I teach married couples. Don't ever think you're so Christian and so holy you can't cheat on your wife. You can't cheat on your husband. You ain't that good. You've got the capability of giving yourself into an affair, and that's why we got to keep our guard up. That's why we got to make wise decisions. That's why we got to stay far, far away from temptations because you ain't as strong as you think you are. And if you don't believe me, look at all these people who God has used so mightily in massive ways who went out and fell. People who are better Christians than me. People who had greater anointings than I'll ever walk in, they got to a place where the Bible says pride comes before a fall. And when you think it can't happen to you, that's when it's going to happen to you. So it's in you. It's in me. But it doesn't come from God. The passage goes on in verse 15. It says this. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. 
that evil desire in me grows into sin if I let it, if I don't get ahead of it, if I don't submit it to God's will. And sin brings death, not just physical death, but it brings death to a marriage, to go back to our previous example, right? It, it brings death to our calling, death, death to fulfillment, death to peace, death to joy, death to our testimony, our example, our witness to the world. It brings death. And we got to be really, really careful not to let ourselves end up there. Now, God's a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And if you've gotten to that place, this is not a message of condemnation or a message of failure. This is just a message that we're capable. And the reality is if you're in that place, hopefully you don't hear this as condemnation. Hopefully you hear this as I could be right there with you. Man, that we're all just as wicked and evil and, and sinful and prone to giving in to temptation. Yet God sent Jesus to bring forgiveness to bring grace, to bring restoration. So don't feel this as us pushing you away. Feel this as us all on the same level and that God's calling us to something better together. Amen? Amen. Does God give free will? Deuteronomy chapter 30, God addressing his people through Moses, this leader, as they're about to move into the promised land, as they're getting close to the day of walking in God's promise, he says this. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It says, this day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. God lays it on thick. This isn't just like a casual, eh, consider this. Like this is heaven and earth are witnesses against you. This is heavy. This is serious. Listen up. Let me get your attention. He says, today I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. He says, I've given you a choice. You can choose life. You can choose death. You can choose blessing, or you can choose curse. The choice is yours. I'm not making the decision for you. I'm not forcing you one way or the other. I've set before you either one. Now, here's how awesome God is. He doesn't just give us choice. He then goes on and tells us, hey, if you're a little slow, if there's some tension in you, if like, man, death sounds good. Uh, cursing has a, has a draw on your heart. Let me just help you out here, young one. He says, choose life. Don't choose death. Don't choose curses. Choose life. Choose blessing. I've got something great for you. I've got something incredible for you. I've got something you're going to love. Choose it. Don't miss it. He says, choose life so that you and your children may live. Your decisions are going to impact the next generation. Choose life. Everybody say, choose life. life. Verse 20, it goes on, he says, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Why? For the Lord is your life. Why do I choose life? Because life leads me to God. He is life. Choose life. That's where he is. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I can't encourage you enough to choose life. You've been given choice. You've been given free will. Use it well. It's a gift. It's a responsibility. Choose life. Choose blessing. Question three. Why does God make bad things like cancer happen to us? Let me say this. On these questions that are submitted, I don't edit 
the wording, other than like if there's grammatical flaws that make it kind of confusing, then I'll, I'll tweak a word just to make sure that it's understandable and comprehensible. Um, but this is the way that this question was written. Uh, so I didn't change it to, does God make bad things like cancer happen to us? This was the question that was submitted, and I want to be honest and, and authentic with the questions you guys submit. So this is the way that this question submitter worded this, said, why does God make bad things like cancer happen to us? This question breaks my heart. Because I believe here we have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. I don't believe generally that God does make bad things like cancer happened to us. I believe that Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so you could have life and have it more abundantly. Um, I, I think some biblical principles we can apply. Jesus prays that God's will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Well, guess what? There's no cancer in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's no pain. There's no sorrow in heaven. And so all these things, and we could insert a million examples, right? Why, why does God allow things like Alzheimer's? Why, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes? Or, right? Like we've all seen a lot of destruction, even fairly close to home. Tornadoes recently have come and wiped people out. Does God make those things happen? And if he doesn't make them happen, why does he allow them? to happen. The reality is life hurts. The reality is we don't make it out of here without some scars, physical scars, emotional scars, spiritual scars. God, why do you let these things happen to me? Or God, why do you even bring these things into my life? Well, I believe that there are essentially four foundational causes of anything we experience. Four foundational causes in this world of all the stuff that we go through. So let's talk through those four causes, and then we'll go back and apply how they work. The, and the order could be, you could order these in any possible way, but we'll start with the first one we'll call the brokenness of this world. We live in a fallen, broken world. Peter, in, in the book of Acts, he calls on his hearers, as 3,000 people get saved, he says, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Perverse in the Greek, it literally means crooked. It means that it was designed, we were designed to go one way, and because of sin, because of the enemy, because of the, the brokenness of this world, all that design that God had has now been, been broken. It's been curved. It's perverse. Uh, best way I've ever been able to illustrate this, years ago I was playing basketball uh, and I had somebody bigger and stronger and better than me, more athletic than me, go up for a layup and his vertical jump was about five times mine. And so I went up to stop him and I got a couple inches off the ground and he got a couple feet off the ground and his elbow went right through my nose. And, and I got a right angle in my nose. Like, it was perfectly broken. I'm so mad I didn't get a picture. It's one of my greatest regrets in life. It would be a much better illustration if I could show it to you. Uh, but, but I literally had a 90-degree angle in my nose. Uh, what was it? It was, it was perverse. God designed my nose one way, and the brokenness of this world came in and perverted my nose. That's literally what perverted means. It was crooked. Uh, and so there's perversion, there's brokenness, there's fallenness in this world. Look what Romans chapter 8 with me. It says that the creation was in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
Why? For the creation, the world itself, was subjected to frustration. The world we live on, the creation, the planets, they are frustrated. Why? Not by the creation's own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Did you know that the planet is in bondage? Do you know that the creation itself is in bondage? That because of sin, everything God created went sideways. Everything got perverted. Everything went crooked. And so even creation itself is now in bondage. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I don't know how many of you have been in the room or perhaps experienced for yourself the, the moaning and groaning of childbirth, uh, but if you've never been an eyewitness to that experience or never had to watch that video in eighth grade, uh, let me break it down for you. Not that I'm scarred. Uh, <laughs> childbirth is messy. Childbirth is painful. Childbirth takes longer to arrive than you hope it does. Can't this thing just get here? Can't this baby just come? And so God, in his word, compares the brokenness of creation to childbirth. He says this brokenness causes some messiness. It causes some pain. It causes some frustration. And it's not going to be relieved as soon as you hope it will. We're groaning and expecting the return of Jesus. We're expecting the restoration of all things, and it will come. By the way, childbirth, I believe, is worth it. Now, that's easy for me to say. Uh, all I ever had to do was witness it. All I ever had to do was get some ice chips. That's my job in the delivery room is just make sure Melody has ice, uh, and she'll do the rest. And is that fair? No, it's not. It's just the way that it works, okay? Uh, <laughs> But I love those three crazy kids, and so does my wife, and I believe that it's worth it. And so God compares the expectation of restoration to childbirth. He says it hurts. It's messy, but it's coming. It's going to happen. So we live in a broken world. So what does that mean? What, do you, what does a broken world do? Well, in a broken world, things go sideways. I believe that, generally speaking, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, natural disasters, those, that's the earth groaning for restoration. That's the brokenness of this world. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, but I think we can imply, there won't be earthquakes in heaven. There won't be hurricanes in heaven. There won't be tornadoes in heaven. You're not going to have to go hide in your closet and pray that you make it through the night. That stuff's not there because there's no suffering and there's no pain. Why? Because the earth, the creation is no longer groaning for restoration. It's been restored. So cancer, sometimes cancer is the result of bad decisions, right? Like we see smoking and other things that can increase our possibility of cancer. We don't take care of ourselves. We don't eat well. Like those things can, so sometimes it's us, but I think just the reality of cancer is it's a broken world. The reality of AIDS it's a broken world, the reality of, of COVID, right? It's, it's, it's a broken world, and these things are just going to happen in a broken, fallen world. We're not living in God's original design because the world is broken. All right, secondly, second foundational cause in this world is people. 
It's us. It's me. Right? What is it? Taylor Swift says, uh, like, I'm the problem, it's me, okay? Uh, the, never, never quoted the prophetess Swift uh, at City Church before. Uh, but <laughs> sometimes you're the problem, right? Uh, years ago, uh, I went to renew my driver's license. The first time I went to renew my driver's license after we got married. Went to renew my driver's license and I was told, no, you can't renew your driver's license because you have a warrant for your arrest in the state of California. Why did I have a warrant for my arrest in the state of California? Because I had gone on a mission trip to California. In fact, I had led a mission trip to California and had been pulled over by a motorcycle cop for not wearing my seatbelt. Uh, and I forgot to pay it. And that $70 ticket became a $700 ticket that had to be resolved before I could get my license renewed. By the way, I was a pastor. Actually, I was a youth pastor still at this time. Uh, not a great look, right? And so what did that do? That created a hassle of time. It created stress. It was a great blessing in my marriage to go tell my wife that we have to spend $700 for something I should have taken care of years ago. Man, it brought us so much closer together. Um, a <laughs> lot of pain, a lot of agony brought into my life. That wasn't the attack of the enemy. Right? That, that wasn't God testing me. That was my own stupidity. I was the problem. It was me. Right? And a lot of stuff, you're the problem. Sometimes it's other people, right? It brought stress into my wife's life. It wasn't her problem. It wasn't her bad decisions other than marrying me. I guess you could put that on her. But, uh, but I was the one who made the poor choices, but it brought pain into her life. We had to take a big chunk out of our tax return that we were going to use for something else. And now it's, hey, I want to have a driver's license. So let's do this. I'd prefer not to be arrested next time I go to California. Uh, and thankfully, I'm, I'm clear. There are no more warrants for my arrest in any state. Uh, I can say that with confidence. You can background check me if you want to. It's, there's nothing out there. Uh, it's all taken care of. Uh, sometimes it's us. Uh, I, I love that phrase. You may have seen it. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is you're stupid and do stupid things, right? Uh, like, uh, and make bad decisions. Like, yes, that's true. So some things we can't just blame on the enemy. Some things we can't blame on God. We just got to put the blame where it belongs. I did something not so bright, not, not so smart. And every one of you in this room can look back at some pain, some sorrow, some destruction in your own life that you were the source most of us can look back at some pain, some sorrow, to destruction that another person was the source. It was their poor decisions. It was their mistake, and you paid the price for it. What is it? That's the broken world, but that's the brokenness of people specifically. Another foundational cause, number three, is Satan. Satan is a foundational cause of evil and bad things in this world. <clears throat> The New Testament many times refers to Satan as the prince of this world, uh, the god of this world, the prince of the air. Uh, he, he refers to him as in terms of authority, in terms of power. I'll show you one example. John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I will not say much more to you for who the prince of this world is coming. Satan's about to enter Judas, and Judas is going to go betray him uh, as, as an act of Satan's will. Uh, and he says, hey, the prince of this world is coming. So, so Judas is actually possessed by Satan as he comes into the Garden of Gethsemane and betrays Jesus. 
Uh, he has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The Bible's very clear that Satan has some authority here. See, what happened was, what had happened was, uh, God gave Adam dominion in the garden. God gave Adam authority, and Adam gave it away. And so the enemy, God didn't give Satan any authority. Adam gave him authority by submitting to Satan's will. So the enemy has some authority. Now, because Jesus has come, he's defeated him ultimately. Uh, he's not going to have authority in the end, but he still has some authority now. In fact, many times after this, uh, the apostle Paul will refer to Satan. After Jesus has died and raised again, he'll still refer to him as the prince of this world. So he still has some authority here. He still has some power here. Does he have ultimate authority? No. Does he sit on the ultimate throne? No, God does. But he's active and he's doing stuff. And so, yes, there is awful, horrible things that happen because there is an enemy. Number four cause of things in this world, praise God, is God. It's God. God is a cause of a lot of great things that happen. He's a cause of blessing. He's the cause of good, right? It says that he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, that he even blesses those who don't love him. He causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike, that, that God is causing a lot of things. And there's this famous passage later on, we just read from Romans 8 about the enemy. Romans 8 closes with this, and we know that in all things, all things, everybody say all things. All things. In all things, in brokenness, in my own stupidity, in the work of the enemy, in all the stuff that comes against me, in sickness and disease and hurricane and earthquake and, and, and whatever, insert pain, tragedy, frustration here, in all things, God works. And he doesn't just work, but he's working for good. For the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't say God causes. doesn't say God does all things. But in the midst of all things, he's at work. Let me illustrate this for you with, with a couple really quick things. Let's look at the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus, what did it involve? It involved some bad decisions by people. Pilate was warned in his wife's dream not to allow Jesus to be crucified for his own sake. But he did. Bad decision by people. The Pharisees plotted for a way to kill Jesus. Bad decisions by people. Judas gave in before he was possessed by the enemy and decided, I'm going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Very bad decision. So there were bad decisions by people. There was the plan of the enemy. Satan literally possessed Judas and led him to walk out these final steps to the crucifixion. Satan celebrates as Jesus dies. And yet, God was one step ahead. This was all God's ultimate plan to bring restoration to humanity. We can look at the story of Joseph, right? Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. He's man goes to prison for a, a rape that he did not commit. He's all this thing, all these things happen to him, and yet in the midst of all this stuff, he confesses at the end. He says to his brothers, he says, "You intended this to harm me. You had evil plans." But God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives, even in the midst of the enemy working, even in the midst of my own bad decisions bringing destruction, God is working. He's one step ahead, and he has a plan to restore you, to redeem you, to bless you, to use you, to fulfill you. He has a plan, even in the midst. And so... I don't think we got to spend a whole ton of time, all the time, trying to discern what caused this in my life. 
The, the, the bigger question is not what caused it. The bigger question is what does God want me to do in it? In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this frustration, God, where are you? Because I know you're here, and where are you taking me? What can I learn from this? What can I develop in this? What what character trait are you trying to build in me as these things have happened? Not that you always cause them. Not that you always are moving the pieces to be there. But I know you've got a plan to use it for my good, whatever it is. So let's just hasten that. Let's just just make that. Let's lean into God's plan. The problem is so often when we suffer, we work against God's plan, and it takes a lot longer to get out of it than it has to. Lean in. Be sensitive to his spirit. In the midst of it. Question number four, we'll close with this. We'll try to do quick. Why does God love us? What a question. I've never gotten this one before. We do these series a lot of times, and uh, I think the last one we did was three years ago, another one like six years ago, right? And so so I've seen a lot of these questions in different wording and different form. I've never seen this one. And I love this one so much. This is a fun one. Why does God love us? Well, let me say this explicitly, and you can write this down if you want to, if you're taking notes. God loves us because love is who God is, not just what God does. Love is his nature. It is his character. It is his essence. He loves you, whether you are close to him today or far from him, whether you are honoring him today or in rebellion against him, whether you are walking in your calling, your purpose, your destiny, or running as hard and far away from that as you can. He loves you because love is who he is. He created you in his image. Of all God's creation, you are the cherry on top. Of all God's creation, he looked down and said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates mankind and he says, it's very good. You are the image bearer of God. He wanted all of creation to see him when it looks at you. He loves you so incredibly much. First John chapter four famously tells us that we love God because he first loved us. Famously tells us that God is love. Let's read through a few verses here to get a little insight into why God loves us and who he is. Dear friends, let us love one another. Everybody say one another. One another. So we love God and we love others. If we're going to love God, we have to love others. God's a lot easier to love than people, right? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. How do you love the unlovable next week? Uh, but the reality is, man, it's a lot easier to love him. But he says, if you're going to love me, that means you've got to love the ones that I love, the ones that I made. Let us love one another, why? For love comes from God. Anything that's not from God can't be love. You can hold on to that one for later on in the series. But that, that, that's a very important understanding for our modern culture. We don't get to define love. God defines love. And he says, anything that loves comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. It's who he is, not just what he does. Love is not just an expression, an action. It's who he truly is. He's love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one and son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God loves us, and he proved his love for us through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not up for debate. There's no more questions. There's no more, no greater way God could ever prove his love for you than allowing his son to die 
in your place. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What a statement. We'll skip down to verse 16 for time's sake. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. For time's sake, we'll stop there. I had a couple more verses, but I'm just going to cut it right there because we're out of time. Why does God love us? Loves you because he made you. You ever worked really hard on a project and... Man, there's, there's, there's some pride there. There's, there's some love there. This, this was made by my hands. You know, God crafted you with his own hands. It says that he, that he reached down and he took dirt in Adam and he, he shaped him and he breathed into him. God finally made you. It says you're fearfully and wonderfully made before you come to Jesus, before you receive restoration, before you walk in his calling, his purpose for your life. While you're a sinner, while you're an enemy of God, he loved you and fearfully and wonderfully made you. It's just who he is. Now, can I answer why all of that? No, because sometimes I feel unlovable. Sometimes I'm like, God, how can you love me when you know I would do this and I would let you down this way and I'd betray you this way and I wouldn't live up to this thing? But I know that he does. I know that he loves us. Because he made us. And he made us in his image. Would you pray with me?